The Pace Line Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash paceline to support the show and learn more. And the Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. Hello, Paceliners. Michael Houghton here in the Colorado Rocky Mountains. And that sound right there is the sound of the gondola I am on making its way up the mountain here in Breckenridge. Of course, Breckenridge is close to Leadville, Colorado, where they hold the Leadville Trail 100. But one of the cool things to do while you're in Leadville is is get away for a day. Take a day away from the the course and the craziness that's going on in Leadville as you, you know, think about climbing Columbine and, and get away for a day. So, Mrs. Hottie and I decided to come over to Breckenridge and take this gondola ride up a mountain. Now, amazing thing about this gondola. Again, we're in Breckenridge and Breckenridge is a high-end resort and people pay a lot of money to ski here. But in the summer, provided you don't have a bicycle, this gondola ride is free. Free. Can you believe that? Free, Mrs. Hottie. Absolutely. Pretty crazy. I mean, what the hell is free these days besides the Paceline podcast and this gondola ride? So, enjoy the free podcast while we enjoy this free gondola ride. Oh, we saw a deer. Hmm. That was free, too. Paceline, the podcast on two wheels with Patrick, Hottie, and me, Fatty. We're about to subject you to show number 80 of the official podcast of Red Kite Prayer. And of course, you can and should and indeed must subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. Of course, I'm kidding about the must, but we just strongly encourage it. Guys, let's talk about Leadville and Rafa and stuff. Can we yeah, do that for another full hour? Let's go ahead and get to that so we can get it out of the way. <laughs> okay, so we'll just mute Patrick's mic for about a half hour while we go off on Leadville, right? I mean, we'll just ostracize the poor guy again for about half a show, and then while we talk about this I'm going to go place. for a recovery ride while you're doing <laughs> well, this. <laughs> while you and I talk, Hottie, Pat, we're going to hear the sounds of Patrick making a sandwich and taking a nap. Eating the sandwich. Again, <laughs> guys. Oh. Uh, I mean, I'm honest to goodness, though. I knowing, mean, after a big race, knowing there what will I be knew, stories. You know, knowing what you guys were aiming for going into this, I really am interested to hear, you know, what went right for you both, what went wrong, you know. Um, I, no, honestly, I am, I am excited to hear about this. Fantastic. So before we get into Leadville, there was the ongoing story of Rafa, and of course, the selling of Rafa is not something I'm talking about today, but I had a crash where I ripped my Rafa bib shorts, and there was a question among you two about when you send them in and use the Rafa repair program, how did it turn out? And today, I got a FedEx delivery with my Rafa bibs, and I thought I would tell you that I am kind of happy with 
how they look, but not super ecstatic. I guess what my ideal would have been that they would have just replaced the whole panel where there was the rip, which is just right on my left hip. Instead, what they did was put a what looks like a tube patch <laughs> over <laughs> over that hole. It's the same material as the rest of the bibs and very nicely stitched, but it is the shape of a uh, of a stretched oval just right over that and it's pretty visible. Uh, that said, they did it for free. I mean, the only expense I made was in shipping costs, and that was only for one direction. They paid the other direction back to me. Um, and I have now a pair of bibs that look fine. You know, not not brand new Rafa quality, but look fine. And I expect will perform just fine. I don't, I don't expect them to be uncomfortable, although I haven't tried riding in them yet. And that's the only concern I have is that all of that extra stitching that go, you know, that joins the new fabric to the old, you know, I don't know how that's going to feel. Hopefully just fine. So um, there, there you go. Uh, first experience with a Rafa repair program. Did they send you a Walmart gift card for that? They did not no, okay. send me. However, they did send, no, oh, I thought it was a pretty good uh, joke. I, they did send the bibs in a really cool Rafa musette. Hmm. Uh, which was, which is kind of nice, a, a white musette with the a black uh, Swiss type cr- um, cross on it, yeah. uh, plus. So actually, uh, while we're nice. talking about Rafa, I did notice one thing, and I was I was wondering about this when we talked about the news of the the sale of Rafa, and that here in L.A. there was a pop up Rafa store, and it closed temporarily. And mm-hmm. during its closure, the sale has gone down. I was wondering, well, are these pop-ups still going to pop up or are they going to you know, reestablish a store? Because they talked about getting a permanent store in L.A. And sure enough, this week, the Rafa Club announced that they're going to open a store, another Rafa store here in Los Angeles. So the business model continues to move forward, it seems like, even though there's this this pending sale, which is good. I think that's great. I, I loved hanging out at the little store. We did a story on it on RKP, Patrick. Um, I interviewed yep. the, the store manager at the time. Uh, it's a great club. You can join some of the rides, not all of them. Some of the rides are exclusive to club members. You get a coffee there. Obviously, you can shop. So great. I'm glad to see them going forward with all that stuff. Great, great brand. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I am going to move away from Rafa now, and I'll tell you how the sh- how the, how the shorts feel if it's worth talking about right. once I've done the right. But right now, I want to read a review mm. because we check our ratings and reviews all the time. We are obsessed with whether people like us. We are so yeah. needy. Your opinion matters to us. When a review really stands out, we like to read it on air, and this is one of those. It's titled, Saved My Sanity, Driving to Leadville. It's a five-star review from TJ653 just a couple days ago. And he says, or she says, I'm, I'm not sure. Driving solo from Philadelphia to Leadville, Colorado might not be the smartest thing I've done. Entering a lottery for the Leadville 100 mountain bike race is also on that list. But in January, I won that lottery and decided back then I would drive to Leadville so I would have my tools, bike, and other accoutrements that go with racing bikes. After a half day of driving, listening to news and music, I was losing my grip on reality, and I needed something more. I'm a noob to podcasts, so out of desperation, I thought I'd search on something related to Leadville and the race. 
Searching in iTunes for Leadville, I found my audio oasis in the Pace Line, a podcast on two wheels. He actually says a podcast on two wheels. That wasn't reflexive on my part. (laughs) I remembered Fatty from the Race Across the Sky movie and noticed that several episodes of the Pace Line also had Leadville mentioned. Little little did I know that almost every episode had some kind of mention of the race. Listening to more back episodes, I found them to be quite informative on non-Leadville-related cycling topics as well. Listening to them in reverse order, I'm back to the mid-50s and still enjoying them. Wow. TJ653, you have unleashed a monster. (laughs) (laughs) You are totally enabling me here. So a good review, and you know, I'm, 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 it's nice to hear uh, that uh, someone found us, yeah. someone uh, didn't know what we do, and liked us. I, yeah, so that's I, great. I'm happy I to hear someone cl- found us uh, by searching Leadville. That's pretty cool. We were having a hard time getting people to find us by using the word cycling in that iTunes library for a while. I think we fixed that, but good. They found us via Leadville. That's great. Yeah, I was yeah. just thinking, I'm glad I tagged all those episodes where it came up in conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Atta boy. Atta boy. Oh, so, but Leadville's almost over. Uh, the conversation about Leadville is about over for the year. Yeah, <laughs> right. So, sorry, TJ. Uh, <laughs> that said, uh, today it's going to be all about storytelling. And I'm going to start off by asking you guys a question. And it's, of course, a loaded question. When you have a crew, what should the that crew have and how much should they be required to know and do well hmm, should i go first please uh that crew should have and know as much as you give them um you know my crew i don't expect anything more out of my crew than the knowledge i give them and the items i give them Mm -hmm. um and some of those items i give them i i only give them with uh, some sort of backup plan in mind. Like I don't give them um, a three-way and expect them to be able to use it. I mean, it's my wife, for goodness sake. She doesn't have to wrench on bikes. I just expect her to have it somewhere, whether it be in the car yeah. or close by or whatever. That's that's all I expect. And then on mm-hmm. the food side of things, I, we go over our food beforehand. We lay it out. And all I expect is that they just have it organized when I show up. And that is it. They're there as volunteers. They're not paid. There's no reason to yell at them, be mad at them, or that's just, just be grateful that they're there. So my level of expectations are are minimal, I would say. That's a good that's a good level of expectation from my perspective. How about you, Patrick? What do you expect from a crew? Well, I've never really been in a position to have, you know, a crew really taking care of me. Um mm-hmm. You know, recently, you know, I had to have basically a musette set up for myself at the midway point when I did the half point uh, for Dirty Kanza. And, you know, when I got there, I had no right to expect anything other than what I'd put in my bag. And fortunately, everything I'd put in the bag was there. You know, so it was a matter of my planning. Uh, the one thing I did ask around for before I departed the aid station was if they had some chain lube because things were so dusty. And so I got lucky with that. But hmm. I subscribe to the same basic thinking as Hottie is that, you know, I would need to have everything that I want already, you know, planned out, secured, 
organized and just tell people, this is this, this is this, this is over here. When I roll in, you know, I would, it would be great if I got these things in this order, you know, and here they are, uh, you know, and just, just be ready for me. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I think it's unreasonable to expect them to do any of the heavy lifting in terms of thinking through the logistics, that sort of thing. Um, I can report two funny outcomes that I know of. One where uh, a buddy of mine was doing a 24-hour race and because the race was so long, he couldn't pre-mix all of the bottles. And so for one reason or another, his sister was helping out for the first time ever. And instead of putting two scoops of the mix in the bottle, she was putting one in. And about Mm. four hours into her shift of his race, he's realizing I'm bonking what's going wrong here. And, you know, got into the AIDS, uh, back into his, you know, station. And, you know, they're talking it through. And she's like, oh, no, I'm just using one scoop. And he's like, oh, there you go. The better example I can give is when I was crewing for Shauna Hogan at the 1996 Race Across America, one of the other riders got on a jag and started screaming at his support crew and admittedly, in that, in that circumstance, you really do have to expect more from your crew. You can't do all the thinking through of everything. You've got to have a crew leader who does a lot of the organization and that sort of thing, strategy. But he started screaming at his crew, and they got fed up with it, and they drove off. <laughs> That's my favorite crew. His, his crew had a breaking point. Yeah. So I... I had what I would call pretty normal expectations of my crew. My my crew was a good friend, my 15-year-old twin daughters, and miscellaneous other folks who have been blog readers and have become friends over the years. I didn't ex- I, I put together a all of the stuff I need and a list of what I wanted them to do, had it out for them, and actually made sure that they had a reasonably comfortable place to be, a pop-up tent lawn chairs, things like that, ice chest full of drinks. And then I did the race. So as you guys know, this uh, this year I set a pretty ambitious goal of finishing under eight hours, the Leadville 100, which is a big deal. That's fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am a normal person. I'm not particularly gifted in terms of, you know, in terms of VO2 max or in terms of FTP or anything. I'm, you know, I work for what I, uh, for any speed that I have. Dude, that said, wait, I had hang on a second. Helping. You've what? talked about your numbers this year. You've done a lot of really stunningly hard work. And yes. I think you really deserve, you know, if, if nobody else will give you the credit, I will. I mean, the sorts <laughs> of numbers you were turning out in terms of power and duration, I, I haven't been able to emulate those for 15 years. And I appreciate that. I, I have worked hard. And I also owe a debt of gratitude to family and to Jonathan Vodders for giving me a really great program, one that was both uh, taxing and a lot of fun to execute. So I went out uh, from the Silver Corral, which is just the second corral in Leadville, and that is meaningful um, because that meant that I did not have to worry about 1,600 of the 1,700 people in the race. 
uh, at the beginning. Uh, you're going on a lot of pavement. There's a couple of turns. There's a couple of down then ups. And if if you are halfway back through the you know, through the group, there's a lot of concern about what the folks in front of you or around you uh, behind you are doing. I didn't have to worry about them. So I get to the dirt and I am still, I've held my position. You know, I'm in place about 100 of the 16, 1700 people. And I hit the first bump. This is before the first climb. And suddenly I feel my saddle tilt hard to the left. It's just, if you've ever had a saddle rail break, it's a pretty particular feeling. Mm -hmm. So my saddle is now sitting kind of at a left angle, and I feel that it drifts left and right with every bump, and I have a pretty clear mental picture of what is going on. My, you know, one of my saddle rails has almost certainly either popped out of the little notch that it is built into, or it has severed. And I'm not about to find out because I am that much on a mission. I am not willing to get off my bike and take a look because honestly, it doesn't matter which of the two it is. I can't fix that with my hands at that moment. So I'm riding and being way, way more careful about when I sit and how I sit and whether I sit um, than I normally am. That said, I'm still going hard. And my it turns out, and I'm thinking to myself, that I'm really glad that I've done many years of single speeding because I am doing a lot more standing climbing and leveraging that than I ever, ha- uh, than I would normally be using with, uh, uh, in an XX one Eagle drivetrain and, you know, just being careful and starting to evaluate my options while I ride. And those options are, as I'm figuring it out at mile 40, you know, so in, you know, in 33 miles, I am going to either still have a saddle that I can kind of sit on and try to finish the race on, or the saddle will have broken off because a saddle clamped on one rail is going to become progressively worse because the saddle isn't built for that. The rail isn't built for that. Or I am going to, with any luck, be able to have one person or multiple people in my crew happen to have brought a bike with them, at which point I can hopefully have them switch a saddle. And I'm thinking about, in particular, Luke, who is crewing for my daughter, Melissa, and he is such a, you know, such an obsessed rider that I can't imagine that he wouldn't have brought a bike with him just to ride around during the many hours where none of us are around. And I'm thinking about this and my options. And I'm thinking about this sub eight, this number that I've obsessed over for months and realizing that it is almost certainly out the window. That if best case, I get a saddle switched, that's going to take time. Worst case, I lose my saddle and no one has a replacement saddle. I'm out of the race. because there's no way I can do 60 miles (laughs) or however many miles with no saddle whatsoever. And, you know, I'm fretting and, or medium case, I'm just riding with a kind of busted saddle and it definitely affects your cadence to have a saddle that is tilting pretty significantly to the left. Um, 
So riding along, racing best I can, being very careful on the descents, um, you know, just trying not to touch the saddle during the descents. At mile 40, I get to Twin Lakes, and there is my crew, and I have thought through my precise phrasing because I know how race stupid I am that I'm practically impossible to understand, but I think I have thought it through. I jump off my bike instead of just putting a foot down so they can see what it is, and I say, my saddle is broken, and I yell for Luke because, like I said, I expect he's the one who is likely to have a saddle, and I say, Luke, do you have a bike? And he says, nope, didn't bring a bike. And another person, Jeff Diefenbach, a guy who I know through the blog and who has become a pretty good friend, he says, I have a bike. It's in my car. And he runs, goes and gets his bike. And he starts taking off uh, the saddle off of his bike without any further interruption from me. And Luke and Dave and David Houston, uh, you know, these two guys, they start working in tandem to take the saddle off of my bike. And I realize that the best thing I can do right now is be completely silent and stand still. That any agitation I show, any checking of time that I exhibit, anything I do is just going to cause them more stress and anxiety. They know I'm racing. They know that I care. What they need from me right now is to be calm and let them do their thing. And they do an amazing job. Um, and I'm realizing these guys are saving my race. This is my 20th racing of the Leadville 100 and they are saving my race. This is a big deal. Um, in eight minutes from when I stop, they have run out to a car, fetched a bike, taken that saddle off that bike while the other guys take off this broken saddle, have put it onto my bike and have given me, you know, have otherwise taken care of their crewing responsibilities. You know, shout out to my twins for doing an awesome job with that. And have got me on the bike and a push, and I am still in the race. Wow. So, yeah. I'm, and I am completely grateful to these guys. Even in that moment, I realized these people have saved my race. That said an improvisationally uh, placed saddle feels different uh -huh. than the saddle that you have gotten very carefully with a pro bike fitter onto your you know onto your bike over the and tweaked it you know tenths of a millimeter over months right it's a different brand of saddle different shape um way more padding it's an it's a WTB instead of a Celitalia and, you know, that's, it's just, you know, that means it's just taller and a little wider is what it feels like. And it feels like it's tilted a little bit more forward than what I'm used to. And perhaps is a little bit further back than what I'm used to. None of these things are a big deal, but that's what I'm going to have to deal with for the next 60 miles because I am thinking there is no way that I'm going to stop again. <laughs> and I don't. Um... I do not put, well, no, I put a foot down two more times uh, to get, to take on gels during, you know, for the remaining 60 miles. And I go, oh, and I stop to push up, uh, push up the parts of the, <laughs> the race that I get. So I actually do put a foot down hundreds of times more during the race. Um, now the truth I, comes out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, oh, now that I think about it, but uh, my hyperbole was not correct. 
I, but I am, I'm on a bike. It feels a little weird. I am wondering to myself is how much, how much is this changing my speed? To what degree has the time that I waited plus the time before I got here where I was being more careful on the descents plus the time I'm, you know, I feel like I'm kind of being pushed into the cockpit a little bit uh, more than I'm used to. You know, how, how much is this affecting my race? Doesn't matter. All I can do is assume that my goal is gone, but my race is not. And I push it. I push so hard, guys. I mean, I can't even describe. I, I did not give up, and I'm proud of that. I went so hard. And in the end, I finished with an 8.31. 31 minutes slower than I had hoped to finish, but it's my 20th finish. I have a belt buckle that is nine and a half inches long by Oh, I thought that was a chest protector tall. when you showed me the photo. <laughs> it does He's look a gladiator like a instead of a uh, Leadville man, yeah. <laughs> it's, the thing is super heavy. E- everyone that I say, here, hold this, they're like, hey, wow, that's surprisingly <laughs> heavy. Um, it's, it's, and, you know, it's personalized, has my name on it, um, which they spelled right. Uh, which is super nice, uh, as you know, as a guy whose name is rarely spelled correctly. Um, so I did it, uh, and I go back to my uh, hotel room eventually, and I have an email waiting for me from Jonathan Vodders, and the subject line is, "Well, crap." <laughs> he had been paying attention to uh, the live results as they were updated, and he the subject line, "Well, crap." I thought we had it. I send him back a short message saying what had happened. And then I go back to the finish line where I'm waiting for friends and family to come in. And he gives me a call right then. And we talk a little bit. And he essentially says, considering what happened, you know, considering a bust, a saddle that was either busted or different for 93 of the 104 miles, that that, that I should be pretty proud of that 831. Did it really cost me, um, you know, 31 minutes? I don't know. There's no way any one of us can know. I do know that the amount of time, extra time that I was standing still is greater than the fifth place to first place gap in my age group. So I might have been on the podium without a busted saddle at the very least. Um, You know, it it, it was an amazing race for me, uh, 20th race, and... Uh, you know, in spite of a big mechanical, everything else was perfect, weather perfect, and I had a great day. So wait, you Uh, were still fifth place in your age group? Yes, I was fifth place in my age group. (laughs) Dude! Out of, of, I think, I don't know, the the 50-plus age group is... It's a biggie. I mean, it's we are we are the people who race. Um, fifty to sixty. We are uh, the, the only world. bigger group is probably forty to fifty. Mm-hmm. I think. Okay, now one other question for you. You know, relative to your nineteen other starts, how does this stack up time wise? This was my third fastest. Hmm. Um, my fastest was eight twelve two years ago. And that was, I mean, that was a day where everything that possibly could go right did. Um, I do want to say that um, my, you know, while I did, 
well, I had a pretty amazing day with, you know, a, an unfortunate mechanical that still left me with a great time. My wife's race was astonishingly good. Um, nine, uh, ninth place overall women, the hammer is, uh, she took second in her age group with an 848, which gave her the coveted big belt buckle. She has done, she's gotten the big belt buckle once before in Leadville. That was uh, being paced by and pulled by Rebecca Rush. This time she did it all on her own. And as a result, I think it has a little bit more meaning for her. Super proud of her. A very, very fast finish for her. So, yeah, uh, that's remarkable. Yep. So mm-hmm. that is my day. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, and I saw, I saw you uh, along the along the race hottie but not where i expected yeah first a couple things uh the the hammer was yeah yeah, i did see her because you would come by and not long after you even though you were having kind of a day with with mechanicals and troubles i would see my buddy sean who was a few about 10 minutes behind you and then the hammer right after him and she was just rolling i was like whoa here she comes again. I saw her a couple times out on the course, and we're going to get to that in a second. You're either going to love me or hate me, Fatty, for the next thing I say, and that is, <laughs> for some reason, every time I ever, I think just about every time I have raced Leadville, I put two things in my equipment bag, a spare seat post and a spare saddle. Oh. Um, I just, I just too many the little mountain bike uh, incidents, mostly on training, uh, once during a race where I have broken a rail or snapped a seat post especially, you know, the carbon ones, and God forbid you run. I don't mm. think there's any reason, reason to run carbon rail saddles in, in, on a mountain bike, but I've done nope. both, and I keep both. I keep both those pieces of spare equipment in my, in my equipment bag at the Twin Lakes aid station, which is oh, where yeah. my race came to an end, the Leadville Trail 100 version 2017. Uh, I, like you, Fatty, rolled out at 6.30 in the morning, thanks to the shotgun of one King Clover. Um, and made it down. I was in purple, so I was kind of far back, but got onto the Keevans climb. It was a traffic jam. I was able to go very slow up Keevans without much stress. Um, but as soon as we rolled over the top of Keevans, uh, suddenly things weren't feeling so spry. Mm. Uh, got up to Hagerman, and you know, Hagerman is, is what, 2% maybe, gravel road, wide, pretty smooth, yeah. and I was covering very little ground. <laughs> Yeah, point, this is this is a little weird. What what's the problem here? Where's the uh, where's the energy? Where are the legs? We rolled over Sugarman, and I I love I mean Sugarloaf. I love Sugarloaf. A great climb. It's a rocky climb. It's actually longer than Keevan's, but I love the climb. And uh, you know, got on the it first real descent climb. with the rigid fork, and again woke up again. Oh, this is fun descending. I got my rigid. I'm picking my lines. I'm not getting passed by too many people. Felt pretty good about that. But as soon as I hit the bottom and got on the flats again, I saw a group up the road. I should be with that group. That'd be a good group to be with. That'd be a good group to go with to, to Pipeline, to the feed. Couldn't, couldn't make the call. Just, just seemed to have no response. A couple other groups went by me. I finally latched on with a, with a pretty large group and rolled in with them to Pipeline. Got my first feed. We have a feeder there, Jeff Roberts. Great guy. He's a local Leadville guy. He's he sat in pipeline for us, I think, four years in a row now. Really cool guy. I mm. sat there and had a conversation with him, talked, took a leak. 
I waited for uh, Rohit to come by. You know Rohit. He stays with you. Rohit's yep. a great guy out of Arizona. Lo- loves our podcast. Reads reads your blog. So I decided I'd roll with Rohit. I, I'd r- ridden with him at um, Crusher a little bit. I thought, I'll, I'll ride with Rohit. That'll be fun. Rohit dropped me. And he dropped me. I mean, I was just going, what in the hell is, is happening here? I'm going backwards. I mean, I literally was going backwards through the field. <laughs> There, there is no shame in being uh, passed by Rohit yeah. this year. Uh, he and I have been uh, sort of, we've had a friendly contest the whole year. And he is, like I am, about 20 pounds lighter mm-hmm. and has been training like a madman. He is a strong, fast guy right yeah. now. And he so was rolling. No, sh- no shame in having him uh, uh, drop you. Yeah, he was rolling too. I'll, I'll give it, he was moving along mm-hmm. nicely. And, and if I could have, Hung on. It would have been a great wheel this to be with all day. But I said, go on. I am not. This is not happening. I reached the single track again. Uh, you know, came to life a little bit in the singles, having fun again. Uh, but got back out on the dirt road and uh, was caught by another friend of mine, Kirsten Darley, doing her first Leadville. And she dropped me. Uh, Kirsten's a very good rider, by the way. Again, no shame in being dropped. Not, not anything to being dropped with a woman. None of that. It just... These are folks that I had thought yeah. about in the back of my mind. Hey, it'd be cool to ride with so-and-so, and I could probably hang with them. Nope, I got dropped. So I started, you know, even before then, thinking, this clearly is not going well. This day, there's something wrong with this day here. I don't know what it is, but there's there's something wrong. And I started, you know, forging a little plan. How can I make the most of this day? I could try and go up Columbine and see what happens. That's a 3,000-foot mm-hmm. climb to 12,000-something feet. Or I could pull the plug on this race and maybe help out teammates and friends. Um, my wife was not far away. She was at the alternate feed zone, which is just past Twin Lakes Dam out there in the prairie. Right. There's a Ford F-150 sitting there for me too and fresh change of clothes. <laughs> and I thought, you know, the thing to do, instead of going up Columbine and finding out halfway up that I can't get all the way up and then having to come down and get in the way of fast riders, I'll, I'll just pull the plug at at Twin Lakes, which is what I did. I rolled in and, you know, uh, I got no argument with from my wife. She looked at me and went, yeah, you're not doing so hot. Are you? I went, nope, this is, this is. Now, I was not like in the back of the race or anything. There were still easily a thousand people behind me. But I, sure. I, I was going backwards quickly. I mean, just getting past like I was standing still. And it didn't feel great. And I thought, you know, the, I can make something out of this day without, without riding in this Leadville 100. And that's what I decided to do. I, I immediately jumped into crew mode. I helped uh, Sean out as he came down Columbine. Sean Holderbaum's a good training buddy of mine. He, like you, Fatty, was shooting for something, you know, very, very fast, under eight hours. Yep. Um, and I started helping him. And we, we all, his daughters and myself and my wife became his crew, his dedicated crew. And, and Fatty's cheering squad. We were helping the Nelsons a little bit too with some cheering and some moral support. We jumped from... Twin Lakes, we moved forward to Pipeline, caught Sean and Fatty at Pipeline, then moved again up to Carter Aid Station, which I'd, I've only ridden through. I'd never really stood there. And we went mm-hmm. up there and provided feed. So I tried to make the most of my day. Now, as far as diagnosing will, this little problem I had, you know, I don't think it was a fitness issue at all. I mean, I trained, trained hard. Uh, the training was a little different this year. I didn't um, get to do... You know, traditional builds, um, Crusher is kind of in an odd spot, and it kind of mm. hiccups your natural progression into Leadville. But nonetheless, I, the, the 
the mileage and the time on the bike and the climbing had been was there. Um, and I don't think that was an issue. And it wasn't a food issue or a nutrition or a GI issue or a sleep issue. The night before the race, I'd gone to bed at, I think, 7.30 or 7 or something. Right after dinner, I was yawning. I was tired. I'm like, good, I'm going to bed. I went to bed. I think I slept eight hours wow. leading into the race. So I was plenty rested. I'd gotten all my work done. We had the pace line. It was done. It was to bed. There were no real stresses there. I, I think my real problem with this Leadville Trail 100 was back in January when I entered the lottery. And um, sometimes it's a little hard thing to tell yourself, but you have to have a reason to enter a race like the Leadville Trail 100. It's, it's not a fooling yeah. around race. This is not your group ride. It's not your, you know, local crit, Tuesday night practice crit. This is 106 miles above 10,000 feet. And you got to have a reason to ride that race. You need motivation, inspiration, something yep. to ride. It is no joke. And and I thought yeah. I had something going on. Oh, I got this fork. I'm going to ride. I'm going to have this rigid fork. I'm going to ride rigid. That'll be my thing this year. That's, that's bull. You can't ride for equipment, <laughs> right? You can't do that. Right. You have to have somebody to ride for, whether it be yourself or you're pacing somebody else or you got a goal or a time or something. You have to have something out there. To carry you through. And I had zip. I planted nothing in my mind. And just before I was getting ready to pull out of the race, who was in my head but the man who who pounded this into me, I don't know how many times as a youngster, my father starts talking to me in my head. Son, most of what you do in athletic is all mental. I mean, you always say that to me. And I was like, yeah, dad, whatever, whatever. I, I just want to go out there and have fun and, you know, hammer and mm-hmm. be... It's mental. You have to have the right mental approach, he would always tell me. And I always used to care. And there he was. At the age of 53, my father's talking to me in my head. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> there I am. I had no mental approach to this game, and you need one. And, and I didn't have that. And I think that's the real reason I started going backwards. Not legs, not lungs. It was in the head. Or I was lacking something in my head, which was a real reason to be in the 2017 Leadville Trail 100. So... It was a DNF. Yeah. Uh, even though I wrote on my Facebook page to Patrick, uh, you know, Leadville plus lead legs equals DNF. It really wasn't that. It was, uh, it was mental lead is what I had, <laughs> or, or you know, a lack of true motivation for the race. Which is, I mean, it's a tough thing to admit, but it really is the truth, and that's why you saw me in the feed zone like three times. I did, and it was fantastic to see you. I mean, and you seemed like you were having fun. I did. And, have fun, yeah. Uh, and your wife gave me a Coke and at Carter Summit in mile 91, 92. Mm-hmm. And boy, I needed that then. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, big thanks to Mrs. Hottie for that. You know, one of the other things they, I always do, Fatty, that I didn't do this year, and I don't know that this is the, the reason again, is I always watch both CDs at least once because that always helps me too get fired up. And this year, for some reason, I just, I just not watch them. I, I don't know if I forgot, and then I didn't take them to Leadville. Sometimes I'll bring them to Leadville and watch them there because it's great course recon. It kind of reminds you of all the little turns and where you need to be, blah, blah, blah. And it just, you know, the films are well done. They kind of motivate yeah. you. The stories, it's all right there, right? It's another little extra mental boost. And I didn't watch them this year. But when I got home, for some reason, I said, I- I'm going to watch them. First of all, I was interested in the comparing the 2009 weather to this year's weather because the weather leading in, 
to the 2017 edition was iffy. It was cold. It had been raining a lot in Leadville this summer. Even the locals were saying, it's freaking weird here. It's cold. It's wet. Blah, blah, blah. Saturday yeah, came around. Yeah, made me nervous. Yeah, Saturday, I was, so I was a little worked up about the weather, but Saturday came around, it was absolutely beautiful. But I wanted to see what 2009 was like compared to we had. 2009 was much, as you remember, much colder. Well, the conditions mm-hmm. were just terrible uh, that year. Um, but I watched both videos, 2009 and 2010, and here's where we're going to fold in Patrick. Patrick, did yes. you know that in the, in the 2009 video, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I saw this, at the end of the video... Somebody, actually, I looked this person up, is in can be seen in an asphalt magazine kit kissing the ground. What? Ha! Huh. Uh, yes, it's a 2009 edition of Race Across the Sky. The number was, let's see, the racer's number, his bib number was 1203. So I looked him up. His name was Fred Batcher uh, out of Louisville, Colorado. Now, maybe he was a subscriber or something of yours and bought a kit. I don't know. Do you know Fred? We never sold those. So someone who wrote for Asphalt had to give it to him as a gift. Okay. Wow. I, I'm yeah. 99% sure it's one of your kits. I mean, it's he has it. It, was, it looked like a three-quarter zip jersey. Is that what you had back then? Mm, uh, uh, oh, yeah, it may have been. I, okay. Yeah, I think, yeah, because we wanted the hidden zip. Um, that's right. It was a verge. Yeah. Three quarter zip because that's the only way you could get the hidden zip back then. Okay. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was one of your kids. Uh, 12.03 was his number. He was kissing the ground. Uh, he had his, he had the zipper all the way unopened, So I could not read the logo across his chest properly, but mm-hmm. maybe it's worth a check. You may have some sort of fame, some sort of connection to the Leadville trail 100. Wow. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, truly, this is the first I've heard of that. Uh, And I'm surprised that, I mean, I've still got some asphalt stuff stashed away, kind of just because I'm a sentimental fool or or something, but that that any kits would have lasted in wearable condition that long, kind of impressive. Hmm. He did a 10 hour, 10 hour, 32 minute, 57 second time. He's a finisher too. So he's, he's got a silver buckle. And apparently an asphalt kit. <laughs> Congratulations on one of those anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh-huh. Wow. I, you know, I wonder if the fact that you didn't bring those DVDs or, or watch them at any point is in some way reflective of where your mental state was. Um, a little bit. Yeah, I think I just wasn't yeah. as focused as I've been in years past on on the race itself. So I just, a lot of things probably slipped the mind. Like, yeah, sit down, watch those videos. They're, they're, they're a source. They help quite a bit. Um, they help me at least quite a bit. And I tell other people too, watch those videos. They're great recon. They'll help you, you know, get into the spirit of the thing. Um, I think they do. I think they do help quite a bit. Last year, actually, Josh Colley, the former race director told me hmm. that they were planning on doing another video or another DVD of some sort maybe combining the run and and the mountain bike race. So we saw helicopters, Fatty. I didn't mean I don't remember seeing yeah. a lot of cameras out there. And maybe they're having, you know, issues finding funding or a production house to do that. It'd be great to have another one. <laughs> or or we were too far back to uh, to be filmed. Yeah. That's possible too, but <laughs> uh, but you're absolutely right whether it's for Leadville or whether it is for any other really big A event, you have to really care you got to be committed Mm -hmm. 
or you know you know finishing well or finishing at all just stop really mattering mm-hmm. and yeah you, you got to really be into it and this uh this was an afterthought when you uh started and so it it, it didn't matter as much mm-hmm. um i would have been devastated if i hadn't finished but you know i had i'd put heart and soul into this thing so you know that's that really is the difference mm-hmm. i needed right, some i well, needed some of that dig deep speech didn't i Ah, uh, you, you, everyone needs some of that deep speech. And uh, Ken Clover is always uh, at mile 48 where the trail turns. Well, it's about 11,700 feet, and the trail turns to uh, hard, hard double-track Jeep trail. And he yells at everyone as they go up. And get a little of that speech then. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a break f- uh, for a quick word from our sponsor. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about Leadville. Just kidding. We'll talk about something else, I swear, from now on. And that's on the Pace Line. Hello, Pace Liners. Michael Houghton here at the Twin Lakes Feed Zone, which is not where I'm supposed to be. But when the lights go out in Georgia, yeah, do what you do. And now I've become a crew member for my teammate, Sean Holderbaum, who's coming in right now. I'm going to put the microphone down and give him his feed. How you doing? Pit stop. I'm going to try to meet you at Carter 8, okay? Hold on, hold on. Your bottles are in. Oh, that was hard. That was the hardest effort I did all day. We got them on their way. We've been talking about Health IQ and how they are helping people to source better rates on life insurance. Recently, they updated their site with new insurers and the ability to serve more people. They've got special rates for cyclists, of course, and runners and triathletes, but also vegans and other health conscious people now. We've mentioned they have quizzes, and these aren't just for fun. If you score elite on a quiz for a specific lifestyle, that can earn you a further discount on your life insurance. They've also replaced BMI with waist to hip ratio, which is a far better predictor of cardiovascular disease when it comes to athletes. Additionally, they replaced the LDL to HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for people on low carb or paleo diets because that's a better predictor of cholesterol health. Amazingly, they will not take into account one incidence in a family history if you are otherwise healthy. It's like a get out of jail card. In other words, if one person in your family has had cancer or diabetes, they won't ding you for it. Finally, they can also get better rates for those with runner's heart or hypertension. Check them out at healthiq.com slash paceline. Patrick, let's talk about your race now. Uh, you know, one thing before we get there, something that's just is really staying with me was the fact that your coach, Jonathan freaking Vauders, was <laughs> following you and your performance on the live tracker and, you know, gets in touch immediately after the race, calls you. And, yeah. you know, it's not like this was just any other Saturday for him. His team's busy racing. He's got present tense duties and yet it shows, you know, the the level of commitment 
to you and this endeavor that he put into it. I, I mean, I'm almost kind of choked up yeah. by how dedicated he was to this. I've always liked that dude. I've always liked him a whole lot. And I mean, seriously, I met him in 1997 and you know, he's got, he's got quite the reputation as somebody of strong views and occasionally prickly personality. But this has shown me a side of him that I've never really seen before. I've heard about it, but you know, that he really applied himself to this degree just impresses the hell out of me. I, I just have yeah. so much more regard for him than I had, which was already considerable. And yeah, I have a huge amount of gratitude for him. And I'm going to say two two last things before before we go back to what I swear is your race. Um, he, first of all, I, I also handed the phone when he was talking to me to my wife to also thank him because uh, he shadow coached her. He didn't even know, but she was also doing the same workouts. Uh -huh. And so she uh, had a big thank you to Jonathan uh, about you know, for helping her get that sub nine. And he thought that was kind of funny. He was like, I didn't know I was coaching you. And yeah, so that was cool. I, and then yeah, um, cool. the last thing is when I was on the phone with him is I said, I would like to talk with you a, you know, get a full hour with you to talk about how you coached me, what is coming up next, what's going on. So there will be a pace line tandem with Jonathan Bodders. Yes. Good. Sweet. So. Sweet. All right. With that said, let's go to Annadel. <laughs> so on Sunday, as you guys were recovering, um, you know, I figured after seeing how things had turned out for you, I would split the difference. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't really sure uh, about things. I mean, I saw your finish time, Fatty, but um, I wasn't clear on what had happened with Michael yet. I uh, So I lined up for Annadel. This is my second time to get to line up for this race, even though I've been dreaming of it. You know, I was I was dreaming of doing the race three years before I ever got to do it. Uh, so this is a date that has been looming for me and I've been very excited about. The funny thing is uh, the organizer, Bike Monkey, Carlos mm -hmm. Perez, wanted to make this a whole weekend of activity the city kind of pulled the rug out from under him at the 11th hour. There was supposed to be a downtown crit, uh, that was going to happen. They nixed that something else happened. The, the weekend of the race actually moved to this past weekend from Labor Day weekend. I'm not even clear on what happened there. I, Carlos has been so busy. I haven't had a chance to really discuss this with him. Uh, but, there were a number of different uh, fun rides that happened on Saturday. And I did uh, the Annadale Mountain Bike Group poker ride, where we went around to different stations and collected cards and sometimes took on extra challenges. Like at one point, you could either sing karaoke or take a shot of Jack Daniels. <laughs> uh, I opted for the Jack Daniels, even though I'm not a whiskey drinker, because I figured I liked everybody there and I didn't want to treat them to my voice um uh so we did that uh let's see there's a somebody's got a picture of me standing in lake il sanjo holding two blow-up dolls i got a bonus card for that actually i got several bonus cards for that um so that was kind of a fun little thing to do on saturday there was not that much alcohol consumed but perhaps more alcohol than was truly 
helpful. Um, that said, I PR'd uh, the descent of this one trail canyon that afternoon. Uh, maybe I was a little more relaxed than usual. But uh, Sunday morning came and I wanted to... I wanted to roll into the opening of the race a little easier than I did last year. I got really amped up and on the opening descent of the race, like a mile in, I crashed and broke my pinky. And so I, I was thinking, you know, let's, I don't know, let's maybe not break any bones this year. The, that one (laughs) section of trail is pretty hairy and I'm just no good. I don't ride it that often. Um, and I'm no good at descending it. And so there were guys getting stacked up behind me. Uh, shout out here to Lars Mommer, uh, because I did hold him up. He ended up ninth in the expert class, and he might have been better than ninth if not for me. Um, so sorry, Lars. Um, but, you know, I, I got through that, you know, got through the other sections of trail and then got on kind of the first big climb. Uh, up this fire road in the park, Warren Richardson. And I could tell there, okay, whatever you thought this was going to be, it's going to be something else. And the long and short of it is, I was seven minutes slower than last year, and that's without crashing and without stopping at one of the aid stations to get my brake lever straightened back out <laughs> so that I could actually use it again. Um yeah, I I mean, I've known I've been carrying a few pounds. Maybe I should have done your weight challenge, Fatty. Um, Next year. Yeah. Uh, so I've been carrying a few pounds more than I would like, um, at least six. But I've been telling myself that, you know, hey, I've got a little more power than usual. You know, just chill out. Um, you know, maybe you won't be as fast on the long climbs, but you'll be faster on the shorter stuff. Keep telling yourself that, kid. Uh, <laughs> We've all told ourselves something like that. Yeah. Before, though, right? It's it, something we have to tell ourselves when that's our only yeah. option. I mean, I there to be perfectly fair, there were two different uphill sections in the course that I did PR. They were short, <laughs> naturally. Um, mm-hmm. I did set two PRs on uphill portions of the course. Uh, the, the bigger story, the more satisfying story is that I set another 19 PRs, but they were all downhill. Huh? So well, that's awesome. Yeah. That part's pretty cool. But the fact that I was 41 minutes behind the guy who was fifth place, um, it's like, Oh dude, really? So, uh, somebody needs to get on top of his aerobic fitness and his weight, but you know, it was still a pretty good day out there, but there were times where, you know, I'm just kind of looking down at my legs going, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. Uh, and speaking of giddy up, I got tagged by a horse on the course. Some really, yeah. Some young woman decided she would go for a horseback ride in the middle of the race course, literally knocked a guy off the trail I didn't see him get hit, but I saw him go tumbling off the trail and running back up. And the funny thing was, my first thought was about all the poison oak. And then it was like, wait a second, he got knocked off the trail by a horse. Um, And then as I'm passing her, she did a little thing with the reins, turns the horse 45 degrees to the trail, and 
literally uses the horse's ass to bump me in the shoulder as I'm trying to go by. Um, you know, there have been times in watching pro racing where I see something happen and I think, my gosh, that dude just rode on, you know, like somebody spits in a guy's face or, you know, squirts him with something. I've seen all sorts of, you know, ugly things done to pros in the middle of the race and they just shrug it off and keep racing. And I've often thought, I wish I could be that chill. I don't, you know, I think I'd like get off my bike and like want to get in a fight, even though I have no business doing anything like that. And I'm not really a violent person, but I've often thought I would totally lose my cool. Well, I'm, I am uh, pleased and also at least vaguely amazed, uh, if not distinctly amazed that after getting bumped by the horse, um, and I mean, this was super deliberate. This was no accidental, you know, oh, I can't control my horse sort of thing. I was, I was very much bumped by a horse and had to work to stay on what was a very section, very narrow section of uh, single track. But all I did was kind of shake my head and go, not cool, not cool, and kept mm -hmm. riding. So uh, something to be said for focus. But uh, it was it was a heck of a day out there. And despite my best efforts, I think through the, what, uh, short of three hours, you know, on a 25-mile course, I took in less than 500 calories, not, not including... Uh, not including the uh, scratch labs that was in my uh, camelback. I mean, it was it was even harder than usual, it seemed, to try to eat on that course. It's so bumpy. There are long yeah. sections where it's like, oh, you're going to take your hand off the bar? Where would you like to crash? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, that is, yeah, that's a huge problem. Um not to try to cast this back to where I was, but I did never, I never let a half hour go by without having a goo rock tin gel during that entire race. You know, so that means you. 17 gels, right? It's a, um, but that's, uh, wow. 500, 500 calories. That's, that's an hour, dude. That's, <laughs> that's, well, no, that, that's two hours, but. Yeah. Man, so uh, I mean, I wasn't significantly off, but I was pedaling at all. Yeah. It, well, by the end, it was not so great. Yeah. So, ah, uh, yeah. What a day, right. you know. Until well, next year. <laughs> stories are why we race, and you know the 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 good, the bad, and it's the the mystery of what is going to happen on race day that makes us keep doing it. Right. If it were just a uh, an FTP contest, uh, what watts can you turn out for a certain period of time? It, we wouldn't care. You can just go into the basement and turn it out. Now, we've done it several times, but the mystery of how's it going to go with all the other factors in the real world with other people, that makes it fun. Yeah. That's what makes it fun. Well, let's move on to the segment that you guys call news and I call NerdFest 2017. <laughs> 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 canyon canyon bicycles is here yeah that's i i knew about this one and frankly i'm kind of excited there you know i i've spent a fair amount at their site uh sort of uh dream casting i guess you could say a little bit yeah i mean it's it's big and bold you go to their site and it says canyon is here um mm -hmm. yeah you can order bikes now after all this build up over 
what's it been? Close to three years that people mm-hmm. have talk, been talking about Canyon coming to the Long U.S.? Time. Yeah, but they've hired, you know, I know a lot of the people who are, well, not a lot of the people, but I know some of the executives involved in this. I know the PR team that they've hired. They're taking this super, super seriously. They're not leaving anything to chance. Um, sure, you know, Trek and some others have gotten uh, to the marketplace in terms of, you know, online ordering ahead of Canyon, but they were doing it as a response to the knowledge that Canyon was coming. Um, this is a company that has invested heavily in developing great bikes and in developing a, a great system to deliver those bikes uh, to consumers without going the traditional IBD route. And uh, that day is finally here. Pretty interesting stuff. I'm excited about getting some of their bikes to review now that they are available. So um, this is this is a big deal. Can you tell us what you've got coming? Oh, we haven't actually decided. I suspect that the first bike will be their Air Road, their Aero mm-hmm. Road bike. Um, I, that's kind of where I'm inclined to go first. Uh, although the Endure Race is also a pretty stinking cool bike. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, some of this is up to them. It's always an open conversation. I tell people what I'm interested in and sometimes they're like, you know, that's cool, but we'd really like to get this in front of your readers. So it's always a conversation. Yeah. Well, one of each in each size is (laughs) a good place to start, including medium. May I suggest for some of those? Ahem. All right, what else? What else have we got coming up in the news? Well, First flight. Uh, yeah, that's a, a really nice piece of news. So we talked last year about how my friend uh, Jeff Archer was killed by a drunk driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, he stepped out in a crosswalk and got mowed down. And, you know, I mean, I was bummed about that. I lost a friend. But, you know, within his local community, you've got his family, his wife, two sons, uh, employees at his shop, you know, this was a, a big, ugly splash within their lives, uh, a tragedy that, you know, I don't even want to imagine. And for a little while, it sounded like the shop was going to stay open. And then I don't know what happened, but some factors started playing against them. And, and there was an announcement, oh, we're going to have to close first flight after all. And then just last week, uh, you know, like in the hour after we finished recording last week, it was announced that the shop's going to stay open. Uh, a group of people have come together to purchase the shop and the shop's existing manager is going to continue to manage and run the shop. So it's not going away after all. And I just consider this such a great testament, uh, testament to Jeff's legacy. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really happy to see it you know, for his family, his clients, that community. This is a, a really wonderful outcome to an absolutely awful situation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like you say, great uh, great tribute. Really like to see that. And one last item for this. Beeline has opened or is opening another 25 mobile shops. Yeah. I think that model may work. <laughs> it's got legs, Billy. Um Yeah, well, this is sort of related to, you know, the first item with Canyon in that, uh, you know, mobile shops are uh, a different chain, 
But mobile shops are how Canyon is going to service uh, their client base here in the U.S. Uh, they're going with Velifix. But I think the point here isn't so much that, oh, Beeline's making big inroads. The real story here is that traditional brick-and-mortar IBDs are seeing this as a viable way to expand the service that they offer to their clients. That's really what's going on here. It's a way to keep IBDs more relevant to, you know, uh, to the traditional, you know, bike shop buying public. And, you know, most of these franchises are being bought by existing retailers. This isn't like some guy who thought about buying a bike shop and then cheaped out and just bought a van instead. No, it's mostly multi-shop uh, chains that have decided this is the next thing we need to do, you know, to up our game and better serve mm -hmm. our clients. And, you know, it, it shows that, you know, Beeline has really thought this through very well. Uh, they've got great systems in place uh, to train people and they're offering really great support uh, to the shops that, that buy the franchises. Uh, but also they know how to back off and, and allow them to use their own expertise. So they're not forcing them to buy, you know, Shimano parts through them. They allow them to deal with their existing distributors and just fill in, you know, where they can help out. So it's not a heavy handed approach. And that's one of the things that really impressed me about them. Absolutely. What is going on in, on RKP? And I ask that in the nicest possible way. <laughs> <laughs> I realize the way I said that, what the hell is happening? <laughs> it's, uh, no, what's new? Well, uh, I decided to finally write something about having my bike stolen. Uh, and rather than make it a, a, a specific personal essay about, oh, people, bad people came and stole my bike. I wanted to write about that larger experience. And so there's an essay up called The Violation that just speaks to where that experience of having your bike stolen, you know, sits emotionally with us, you know, what it does to us, how we view things after that, how that experience stays with us. So that's gotten um, a big reaction. You know, people are really appreciating the piece, even if they don't really, shall we say, enjoy the subject. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and uh there's a, a bike review and this one's really worth mentioning the bianchi infinito cv this seriously goes down as one of the most difficult to compose bike reviews that i've ever written in my life and that's because of this uh technology that they used in the layup of the frame called countervail it's meant to damp vibration uh, so instead of getting a lot of that high frequency buzz that lets you know what's going on between the tires and the, and the road surface, uh, a lot of that feedback that you get has been dialed down, but this bike is really different from the experience that you have. If you're riding a frame that weighs say 12 or 1300 grams, when you ride a bike that has a lot of carbon in it, because it wasn't you know, that well-designed and they needed to put a lot of material in there to get it stiff enough. Those bikes, as I traditionally like to say, feel a lot like a block of wood. It's not mm. a particularly exciting ride quality, you know, it, and one of the reasons why P 
people continue to talk about those, you know, 800, 700, 650 gram frames is because they have a really lively feel. The big draw for riding one of those light frames isn't the weight of the frame. It's the way it feels, what that riding experience is, at least in my opinion. And so the Bianchi is really interesting because it's it's got a very different ride quality both from those heavier frames and the super light ones. And hmm. it's a really compelling bike. And it's one of those that uh, took me a long time to write. I had to do a lot of rides on this bike, switch back and forth between, you know, other high-end road bikes that I had in my possession. And then I had access to an open mold frame, you know, built up as a bike that, you know, the, the frame there was close to 1300 grams, I knew. And so I would, I would sneak some rides in on that bike every now and then to try to try to AB those two experiences. Um, Bianchi's really on to something very interesting. Uh, a definitely one to read. Let's move on to the paceline picks. I'm going to go first if that's okay. Yeah. And I'm going to be brief about it. The Apple AirPods. I've had them since they have been available and they're just, they're a wireless Bluetooth headphone and last episode, uh, if it weren't for my Apple AirPods, Hottie and I would have had a real tough time recording, but here's something that was kind of cool by him having one of the AirPods, one of the ears and me having one of the ears, we were able to hear you, Patrick, and over a single Skype connection without us having to record cheek to cheek. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> as a guy who has a sense of personal space, I really appreciated that. <laughs> so great for podcasting. But I was, um, I was so looking forward to being tethered to you. <laughs> Another time, perhaps. Right. For bikes, I am still trying to decide. I know some people are very strongly opposed to headsets in general, in earphones in general while riding. And for those people, I have nothing to say. I mean, you don't like it, then you don't like it. For those of us who, while doing a big mountain climb, like, you know, a 60 minute hard climb, having music to get us a little bit pumped up, the AirPods are pretty nice. They, you know, you can put them in, you can still hear things very well that are happening around you. And they last, you know, for a few hours. But you got to remember to take him out before the downhill because you cannot, uh, you can't hear a thing uh, with wind noise. And the way the head or the way your um, helmet uh, strap bounces against the AirPod while you are climbing, even or going straight, makes it so that the darn things tend to fall out. And since there is no wire, literally, then you have to do a quick U turn and look for the tiny little white thing that is on the road. So, um, is it a paceline pick? It's a pick for uh, if you want to do phone calls, if you want to listen to something on a climb, maybe not if you have bad vision and have a hard time picking things out on the road. So, that's my paceline pick, uh, or not, the Apple AirPods. Interesting. Hadi, how about you? I'm What's gonna, your pick? Yeah, I'm going to turn this podcast back to where it started. That is Leadville. Uh, the first time <laughs> I passed through the town of Leadville was by accident. My wife and I were in Colorado on vacation. We made a day trip from Vail to Aspen via Independence Pass. On the way, we decided to stop for coffee, and the town we chose for that cup of joe was Leadville. 
We knew nothing about the race, nothing about Columbine, and nothing about digging deep. I was, at the time, a dedicated roadie, and endurance off-road had yet to become a thing. But the town left an impression, the people were nice, the streets quiet, and the coffee pretty good. Little did we know that Leadville would be a place we'd return to five more times. That first trip to Colorado 10 years ago stands out for another reason. While we were there, the Colorado Rockies, that's baseball boys, started going on a magical run that would take them to their first and only appearance in the World Series. When we arrived 10 years ago, the Rocks were on the outside looking in with a record of 76-72. and 72. But in the last two weeks of September, about the time we were there, they won the last 14 of their 15 remaining games. The Rocks earned the final postseason spot by beating the San Diego Padres in a 13-inning game. They won the pennant, but came up short in the series to the Boston Red Sox. Still, there were heroes like Helton, Tulowitzki, and Holiday, to name a few. In a state that worships the Denver Broncos like a deity, the Rockies became a source of inspiration for a state new to Major League Baseball. I love baseball about as much as I love bikes. Getting in a game while visiting a city is something I'm always up for. But for some reason, even though the Leadville Trail 100 falls just after the All-Star break, I had never taken in a Rockies game before the LT100. That changed this year. My wife and I decided to spend a night in Denver and check out the Rocks at their home stadium, Coors Field. We got good seats on the field level. It was Faith Day, sponsored by Chick-fil-A. That was a little weird. The dogs were good. And believe it or not, you can get beer other than Coors at Coors Field. Although they lack the deep knowledge you will find in St. Louis or Chicago or Boston, the fans are a dedicated bunch. And they are the only baseball fans who wear Tevas and hydration packs to the game. I kid you not. What's in the, the hydration Rockies packs? Like yeah, hydration packs in the stands. No, what's in them? I didn't ask. Maybe course. Uh, the Rockies, like 10 years ago, are setting themselves up for something great. They have put together a dynamic lineup with the likes of the bearded Charlie Blackman in center field, who hit three doubles the day we were there, one to each field. Amazing. A magical shortstop in Trevor Story, and arguably the best player in baseball in third baseman Nolan Arenado. And now, and now they have a player they can, in fact we all can, rally behind. I wish the Leadville Trail 100 was a week later, because I may have seen Chad Bettis pitch. He threw his first game of the season two days after the LT100. Where has he been? Recovering from two bouts with cancer. While celebrating his first anniversary last fall and with his wife pregnant with their first child, Bettis discovered something abnormal on his body. Days later, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Blood tests indicated he had caught it early. Bettis had surgery to eliminate the disease. He recovered in time to report for spring training and was ready to lead the Rockies' young pitching staff to a championship. But during a follow-up CT scan, doctors discovered that the cancer had spread and Bettis would need chemotherapy. He started the treatments nine days before his wife's due date. Never mind baseball, Bettis says he was freaked out that the chemo would keep him from being there for the birth of his daughter. But somehow the stars lined up, and Everlay, that's her name, was born in between Dad's first and second rounds of chemo. With his daughter safely into the world, Bettis went back to beating cancer. The chemo would last into May. He said he was so weak he could barely pedal a stationary bike. Had to work on a bike reference here. Uh, Bettis lost most of his hair, but he kept most of his weight. And once the treatments were done, turned his attention back to getting on the mound. By July, he was pitching again with the Rockies minor league team. 
Doctors had given him at least a 90% chance the cancer would not return, and his fastball was easily in the 90s. A month later, Bettis was welcomed back onto the Rockies' big league roster, and his first start, in his first start, that is, he pitched seven shutout innings, and the Rocks responded with a 3-0 win. The Rockies lost the game we saw prior to heading to Leadville. They looked like a winning team, but they had some miscues that showed a, a lack of focus. Maybe Chad Bettis can be their spark. As I talked about earlier in the show, when there's nothing to ride for or play for, then coming up short becomes your destiny. So Colorado Rockies, grab you some inspiration. Make Chad Bettis your paceline pick. Oh, I like it. Cool. You made me care about baseball. Hmm. How'd you do that? I don't know. That was awesome. Patrick, what's your pick? So my pick is based on my experience this past weekend racing Annadelle and doing the poker ride for that matter. Uh, it's the Scott twin lock suspension lockout system. This is a three position switch. It's two switches, you know, three, three variations on it. Uh, I talked about this in my review of the genius. So you've got, uh, on the bike that I'm riding these days, it's 140 travel front, 130 rear. You've got wide open. Then in the second position, it's 100 millimeters of travel, front and rear. And then in the final third position, it completely locks out the rear and leaves you 100 millimeters of travel at the fork. And I am continuing to be mystified why this isn't more popular because it's such a simple system to operate. You know, you've got that switch right there, you know, at your fingertips. Um, in my case, it's above the bar, you know, on the left side of the bar. So above where the, the thumb shifter is for the front derailleur. Yeah, when you're using this, you end up with, um, in my case, nine different levers on the bike between the brake levers, the shift levers, the <laughs> dropper post, and the twin lock. It's a lot of stuff to play with. But I'm actually really grateful for how that keeps me focused on exactly what the trail's doing, you know, what the train is, what I need to, you know, in terms of how I set the bike up so that I'm going as fast as my rather insufficiently powered legs will allow. And this past weekend was just another one of those uh, occasions where I was really impressed by how well that system works. And it's one of those things that, you know, there's a little bit of talk of, you know, people using the Shimano DI2, uh, using the left lever to operate electronically suspension lockout. But, you know, here's a system that's uh, easily operated by cable and really hasn't been very well emulated by anyone else. And I'm, I just love it so much because you end up with, you know, when it's wide open, you've got a bike that descends so well, you know, there haven't been the, some of the compromises made to make the bike pedal well, like some of the companies have had to resort to. So yeah, my lock, my, my choice, the Scott twin lock system. All right. I am going to have that be the final word in this episode of The Pace Line. If you haven't been to iTunes, please do. Go to iTunes, rate, review us, give us the love we so desperately crave. And if you have, well, thank you. We owe you a poll. For Hottie and Patrick, I'm Fatty, and this is The Pace Line. Way to go, gentlemen. Nice finish. Welcome back to Leadville, guys. We're glad to have you back with us. Yeah.